0: Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Bay Ryan, a 26-year-old disabled indigenous NB living in central Waikato, New Zealand, a postgraduate ecologist with a master's on the COVID back burner. He's often a terse advocate for neurodivergency in academia, trans welfare, and learning to do less. Bay, welcome to the show. Hello, it's lovely to finally be here. I'm so excited. I also love. I don't know that I've ever started off with somebody's exact age, and there's something (laughs) so charming about the specificity of like, "They is 26.
1: He is this many years old." I know. I didn't. I'm not good at writing bios. Well, that's what I was trying to say. So I'm I'm Um. glad you've admitted it. (laughs) And I'm never sure what is important slash non important information to include. What
0: would you say are your
1: other top two shortcomings as a person? (laughs)
0: In order, just whatever comes to mind. Explore the space. Doing
1: too much, <laughs> and uh, my terrible sleep schedule. Doing too much, bad sleep schedule.
0: That sounds uh, that sounds fixable. Mm.
1: I think it we can address that today. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think that by the end of this episode, my goal is for you to be almost asleep, <laughs> and doing I less will than you be. came in with. Yeah. So I hope everyone listening will help me in just sort of like trying to send lullaby vibes to bay throughout the episode. Sorry, that um,
1: sounded like a threat.
0: <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Like like a psychic attack trying to cause you to nap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that I cultivate enough the psychic energies of the people who listen to this show in order to um, force my guests into altered states. And I think that's going to be my new thing in, in 2023. Excellent. Good. Um, with that out of the way, I would love to tackle our first letter. And if you don't mind, I'll start reading it. Mm -hmm. The subject is breaking point. I'm a mid-30s queer person who's been sick for 10 years because of a neuroimmune post-viral illness. My doctors say I must avoid COVID at all costs. As the CDC accelerates its dismantling of protections, I'm reaching my breaking point. I've worked hard to cope. I've thrown myself into new friendships with disabled people, mutual aid groups, virtual organizing, books about disability justice, and online communities. I've constructed routines of watercolor, poetry therapy, and FaceTime. I see friends masked and outdoors, work remotely, and grieve the daily losses of isolation. I feel rage, exhaustion, confusion, betrayal, and sadness at my government, but also at my loved ones. While I am lugging a HEPA filter to medical appointments and using my limited energy on pandemic organizing, many of my friends are singing at indoor queer karaoke. I am angry, but even more so, I am deeply afraid. I don't want them to get sick like me. How do I reserve my harshness for the systems creating this hell instead of taking it out on the people I love? How do I help my friends see that COVID protections are vital to all of our futures? How do I accept that even though this is everyone's fight, some of my loved ones will not join me in it? How do I protect my heart while protecting my body takes everything I have?
1: Yeah, that, it's it's the last line for me, frankly. I took a lot of time on this question last night because I I relate to it a lot. I think I was avoiding saying it's a big mood because <laughs> it's a knee jerk reaction response. Nope, it's, nope. We don't do any sort of like weird sound effects when the title <laughs> gets dropped. So do not worry about that. Excellent. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like the entire world has classified the pandemic as an event, not a constant evolving situation. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things is when you you see strangers doing it and then you see people you love doing it. And they don't even realize what they're doing is literally endangering people's lives because they're being bombarded from every other side by media with claims that the pandemic is quote unquote over and everything is okay, and things will go back to normal, you're competing with this abject truth that the state is far more comfortable with feeding us capitalist propaganda and shilling the idea of the pandemic as a social event that happened rather than an ongoing viral presence in global communities and one of the most current prolific killers in the world. (laughs)
0: I think there's so much usefulness there. I I have so many different ways that I want to try to be useful to this letter writer. I'm almost not quite sure where to start, but I think that to that end, since at least part of this question that, that you've just pointed out has to do with like, how do I reserve my energy and not constantly feel anger and frustration at my other friends who socialize? I think in addition to And by the way, none of this means I want or need the letter writer to start feeling differently. I think this just might be useful things to bear in mind when you do experience that anger is in addition to messaging of the kind that you have just described. It's also, I think, very understandable for people to not be up to indefinitely not seeing their loved ones. And I think especially when so many people have been pushed back into work, I think having to say, it's okay for you to risk your health at work, but you must still stop doing it in your social life, that's quite difficult. Um, And again, that doesn't mean you have to feel good about seeing your friends at karaoke, but I think it can help you bear in mind that a lot of people are trying to, as you are, navigate a system where the government's often just thrown up its hands. And it is understandable that a lot of people would not just choose to, okay, I'm only going to expose myself through work but I'm going to continue to isolate myself physically in my social life. That's that's pretty difficult. Um, and so again, not that that means you have to think like this is terrific or no risk. But to contextualize, I I think when like higher risk behavior is common, it can be really tempting to moralize over it. And that can also sometimes just lead to additional distance, judgment, isolation, um, sense of being alone. And and that's not something I want for this letter writer either. So without saying this is good and low risk, I think it's also really helpful to remember that there's, there's a reason most people don't spend all of their time isolated from other people people don't do that easily, naturally for long periods of time. That's very difficult on people as, as the letter writer is is pretty aware, right? Like, I feel like I'm almost like, you know, yeah. this thing you're doing, it's really hard. It's too hard for a lot of people. And again, that can kind of lead you in either one direction of like, it's too hard for other people, but I have to do it. And therefore I'm kind of doing more than them. and And this isolates me further from them. Or it can, I think, kind of, put you in another direction of this is really hard for all of us. I'm struggling in this way. Other people are struggling in another way. Um, How do I look for ways to turn myself away from focusing on the differences, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah. And I think like, I don't know, to that end, like reserving your harshness for the system is, I I don't know, from experience, a fun idea in theory. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think it is important that when you see someone you know without a mask to remind yourself that the entire apparatus is working to convince them that they're right and okay to do so. And I think as a result, the invisibility of disabled people and chronic illness is more apparent than it's ever been.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's really useful, too. How do you feel about the the kind of bit towards the second to last paragraph? I'm also afraid. I don't want my friends to get sick like me. Yeah. Do you feel like there's additional kind of advice we can offer a- away from the anger frustration that has more to do with what do you do when you fear for either risks that your friends are taking or the possibility that other people will experience sickness in the way that you do? Um, do you feel like you have thoughts on on how you would want to encourage the letter writer to think about those feelings?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've dealt with a lot of chronic illness, especially over the last, I'd say decade. And I did get COVID when I got back into the country and about halfway through last year. And it left me with long COVID and I have likely scarring on my lungs. And My housemates who got it varied so greatly in their exposure. It was just, it was very difficult to like compare, I guess, because it's affecting so many people so differently. I understand the fear of like not wanting your friends to get sick, but I think also the focus needs to be on you Mm -hmm. right now because they're going to make the decisions that they make regardless of your influence. Mm-hmm. And if they get COVID, they get COVID.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a really understandable place to want to come to, not in the sense of who cares, yeah, uh, but in the sense of that's not something that's within your control. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think coming to a place of, I hope they don't. And if they do, and they want some support, I'll be here and I'll have some suggestions on how to handle it. But they might. They they very well might. They might get other illnesses. They might pick up other disabilities. Um, and I don't say any of that to suggest that the letter writers should have this really flippant attitude towards their friend's health. But I think it's always difficult if when it comes to a loved one, you take a health concern or a particular risk more seriously than they do. Or not to say that they don't take it seriously, because I don't know what choices they've made around this, or, uh, you know, I only have information that's secondhand about a general group of friends. I don't want to assume everyone that this letter writer knows is totally cavalier and casual, just that the the majority of them are taking risks that the letter writer wishes they wouldn't.
1: And I think it's really important to conceptualize the fact that all other information coming from all other directions that people are supposed to be able to trust are saying that not masking is fine and it's not but it's what they're being told so i don't know i would i would say it's it's definitely more of a social issue than it is individual
0: yeah and i think just if you're coming from a place of i want to check who's been going where so that i can kind of ruminate over their social decisions and feel alternately concerned, worried, angry, resentful, which again are understandable human reactions, but I think will not do you much good. They won't benefit you much more than they already have. And just instead simply say, whether or not my friends get COVID is outside of my control right now. It sounds like the letter writers already had some basic conversations with their friends about uh, encouraging masking and other basic precautions. If they haven't, they certainly can. But if you've already had those conversations a few times and this is the result, I think it's understandable to not try it again. But I think sometimes then in those moments, it's also just helpful to say the best I can do is give someone information. What they choose to do with that information is outside of my control. And and maybe then in that case, it might sometimes be helpful to look for somebody else who's in a position similar to yours who does need your help or support and who wants it. And that's not to say ignore all your friends and only focus on people who have, you know, slightly worse long COVID. Just sometimes it can really help to reframe um, from everybody else in my social circle is taking risks greater than I am and I'm sort of the outlier and looking for other people who are in your boat or or in in greater need of help so that you can offer guidance, support, even if it's from a distance, if it's remote, if it's outdoors, um, so that you feel like you're able to also help in places where your help is welcome and will be received well. Because that can really boost your sense of sometimes when I help people, it helps them and that's nice, you know, as opposed to... I'm swimming against the current here. And I just, I hope I'm not coming across as saying, just give up and stop caring about the risks your friends are taking and only start volunteering at hospitals so that you can feel like you're making a difference in the world and just feel great all the time. So I I hope that's not dismissive or flippant, but I think incorporating a little bit more of that will maybe make some of those moments of frustration feel more bearable, which is, I hope, a reasonable goal.
1: Yeah, no, I think I totally think that the letter writer could benefit from just like me an exercise in doing less for the benefit of yourself. I think people often frame selfishness as something inherently awful and I think it is incredibly integral to our mental health. And like I want to just say to the letter writer cuz it's not really advice, it's just kind of Like you say, you've been working really hard to cope. You've dipped into new friendships, mutual aid groups, etc. I totally get the impetus and I can see it railing against this very visible issue that you are constantly in a position where you are... Defending your right to feel safe in public. And it feels like you're doing it alone. And that's really fucking hard, especially when it feels like everyone around you is just totally unplugged from it all in comparison to you. And I think there needs to be a lot more recognition for people who are always going to be at risk from this, regardless of how boosted you are. Because there's this misconception even in leftist media that if you're boosted and you've got all your vaccines and everything, then it's fine. I was quadruple boosted, still got COVID, and it was really bad. (laughs) Like, I just, I can't profess enough how... Easy it is to wear a mask for most people, you know, like it's to me, I, 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 really understand the kind of it's unfathomable feeling like because the West has this whole idea around like wearing masks to combat airborne illnesses as if countries in Asia haven't been doing it for so long <laughs> It feels like a very, very simple fix that no one's willing to do anymore. And I can totally understand the frustration around that as a chronically ill person.
0: Yeah. Do you have any kind of final thoughts on whether or in what circumstances you might encourage the letter writer to consider sharing some of this with their friends? It wasn't especially clear to me. It it seemed clear to me that this letter writer had had at least some conversations with some of their friends about the importance of masking, and they're at least aware that the letter writer is going to medical appointments and and is at very very high risk for COVID. But it wasn't incredibly clear to me if some of these friends who I, I take it are outside of the mutual aid organizing and the disability justice groups are aware of the emotional toll that this take has taken on the letter writer. And so I was curious if. There's some of this that the letter writer's really been holding back, whether or not it might be useful to share some of this with some of those friends and whether you would consider it's worth doing one-on-one, one one person at a time, in some limited ways for, you know, self-protection or or where you thought the letter writer might take some of that. Because I also think there's something to be said for... Not necessarily going in the heat of your most frustrated and angry moment and yelling at all your friends or like tagging them in a big Facebook post um, saying, you know, every time you all have gone to a movie, I've written it down and I'm mad at you (laughs) Um, because that I think would probably create further distance. But I I think there are maybe ways that you could reflect on what to share and how to share in such a way that both effectively communicates your anger and frustration and also isn't calling up your friends one by one to yell at them. And that can sometimes be a difficult balance to find, but I think it's worthwhile. Uh, I've I've spent too much time asking you this question. I'm going to (laughs) pause.
1: Oh, you're totally fine. No, like all good points is the thing like Personally, when I want to tell a bunch of my friends something about my health, I put food in the oven and call them Hmm. and tell them to get their asses over. But everyone has a different way of doing that, I feel. And it sounds like this letter writer can't have people over right now. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if there's any like long distance casual kind of call situation where you could do that or if one-on-one feels easier with a couple of close friends and then you could talk about verbalizing something with a bigger group of friends, I think it would depend on the amount of support you would want right now with regards to that.
0: Yeah, and that's a really useful point too because I think it would be a good idea for the letter writer to decide ahead of time with this conversation or conversations if their primary goal is... I want to let my friends know how I'm doing so that I can ask for some sort of support, whether that's even just, I'd love it if you checked in with me once in a while, or I just want you to hear about how I'm doing, or I'd love to schedule a remote movie night, um, something where you are investing back in me, or whether or not you want to use that conversation to make a request or to, you know once again stress like information about masking Uh, I think it'd be a little difficult to try to do both at the same time not impossible but it's just kind of helpful to think which one feels more important to me right now and then to go into that conversation with that sort of intention in mind if that does that strike you as reasonable I think it's good to know like maybe you feel like your friend's not as aware as they could be of how much you've been struggling and you want them to call more or maybe you feel like you know if I were a little vulnerable and I shared how hard this has been for me and I shared a little bit more information about the importance of masking with a friend and just encourage them, you know, even if you're going to go to queer karaoke, please wear the mask. Is Like, again, like, mm. are you looking for harm reduction? Are you looking for an ask? Uh, what would you do if you made a request, like, don't go to queer karaoke and your friend said no? How would you two handle that? There's so many different, like, branches this conversation could go down.
1: Like, when you can at any point see people in person again, would you want to set rules for rat testing and whether or not they've been anywhere public without a mask on in the last two weeks, whatever you want, et cetera. Like, I think it's good to know what boundaries you might want to walk into before you establish them.
0: Yeah. And I think there's one last thing I want to think about before we start to move on to our next letter, because I realize we could probably stay with this one for quite Mm -hmm. some time. Mm -hmm. I want the letter writer to also just bear this in mind, and I don't necessarily have a great solution for this, but something that I think can often be true is when somebody is going through something really difficult and chronic, um, especially if it has to do with health and illness, um, lots of genuinely well-meaning people who care about you will get a subconscious, not necessarily aware sense of discomfort and unease that has to do with almost like old time primeval magic, which mm-hmm. is just, I need to be away from something that makes me feel dread, risk, anxiety. And I need to be with things that make me feel relaxed, happy, safe. And so in in addition to, sometimes you'll get people who will just casually or maliciously abandon friendships uh, when somebody gets ill or when somebody is really struggling or in crisis. I, I think this is really distinct from that and so I think sometimes it can even help to name it, which is like, I want to talk to you about like how COVID restrictions make me feel. I also don't want you to feel like I'm going to be trying to get on your case or harangue you. That's not my goal. But I do want to be able to talk about something difficult that is not immediately fixable and I hope that that's okay and I hope that we can do that without trying to avoid stuff that makes us feel uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's hard. If you name it too much, then it's like you invoke it and people run away. But if you don't name it, it,
1: it can take over. No, I totally get what you mean. And I, I've experienced this reaction.
0: It can be a little bit like the sort of like, I hate hospitals syndrome. Yeah. Which you, you know, hear a lot on TV or sitcoms. Everybody hates hospitals. Uh, nobody, I mean, not nobody, but people generally don't think I would love to go hang out in a hospital and witness disease and suffering today. And yet those are ever present facts of life. They don't go away. Again, this is really separate from Casually dismissive or cold people who choose to just drop you like a hot potato. This is something that I think really affects people who want to be kind, who want to be close to their friends, who might not recognize this pattern of avoidance. Because again, it's this very like animalistic, primeval avoid pain, seek out pleasure. Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, now I look back over this pattern and I realize that that means that I drifted away from people who were suffering. And I didn't mean to. That's not one of my stated values. But I did it in the hopes that avoidance would make it less real and go away. And so that's why I think sometimes people often, after like a big diagnosis, can experience a drop in social support from a lot of people who would not say, yeah, when I heard my friend got sick, I wanted to avoid them. But because they weren't aware of that impulse um
1: kind of gave into it it's kind of a subconscious this is too much for me kind of and just this magical
0: fantasy of if i'm surrounded by images of healthiness and safety i will be healthy and safety indefinitely
1: and the reality of our situation is we're walking into a lot more chronic illness than anyone has had to openly deal with (laughs) (laughs) and we're we're going to have to Because it's going to happen.
0: And I feel bad because I I feel like I've been piling so much on this letter writer of, and bear this in mind, and bear this in mind, and be gentle and graceful wherever you can to somebody Mm. who's already stretched to their breaking point. Mm. So again, please don't feel like any of this means you just have to feel totally peaceful and serene and in full acceptance of our, you know, limited world. I think this is a really common human impulse that we all need to seek to identify and, and uh, downplay and, and eventually get rid of as much as we can, but it might be helpful at least in terms of if you have moments where it just feels like, why are all of my friends thoughtless jerks who drift away? Um, as opposed to this is a human impulse. This happens to many, many, many people at many points throughout their lives. It is an inviting illusion that being around safety and health makes you safe and healthy. And people sometimes don't want to leave that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was something that kept us alive when we all had monkey brains, (laughs) but we're not there now.
0: Yeah. I don't even know if it did. Like, I don't want to even try to necessarily universalize this across like (laughs) times and cultures, because maybe there weren't ways in which we did that. I just mean, I I think that's something that happens a lot in, in our modern society,
1: I think if you're talking about an inherent biological fear response, it's definitely there. But like, I think it's something that can very easily Mm -hmm. be combated if it's addressed, like many other things that we experience as inherent fear response.
0: Yeah. So I I think here, the thing that I want to sort of close with from, from my end, at least, is it may not be possible for you to make specific requests or demands of your friends in terms of how they handle COVID precautions. But it is, I think, possible for you to share a little bit more with them about your state of mind, how much you're struggling, and to maybe ask them for a little bit more support. And that's not everything, but it's not nothing either. And it may be that some of this frustration and resentment and rage comes from feeling like you have to keep this to yourself all the time, that there's no way to share it without collapsing into recrimination and anger and that sharing some of this in a a sort of planned-out, relatively neutral way will not make you feel like you're heading towards a breaking point. Mm
1: -hmm. Do you have any final thoughts for this one? I think, because you mentioned not wanting to worry the letter writer about needing to walk on eggshells, essentially, around their friends. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea here is to... Potentially, I think push them away from the idea that they are surrounded by malicious intent, because it can really feel like that. Sometimes it just takes the right conversations.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I I um I got to get more problems that are just like. Whatever happened to candy cigarettes? Do you remember those?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't thought about them in forever. You could get ones in New Zealand that were musk-flavored and bright pink. I'm sorry, what flavored? Musk. Like the
0: musk of a of a beaver? Like no. the sack of glandular juice that in spray? How would I
1: describe musk as a flavoring?
0: I, I mean, I just described it as best I could, which was beaver musk. Um, what I, does it taste like?
1: Yeah, uh... It's spiced and peppery. It's a little like... What? Floral as well. Okay. It's the same kind of flavor that you would get smelling musk perfume, but you eat it. (laughs) Welcome to New Zealand uh, slash Australia.
0: I have looked this up and it says it's a popular confection in Australia. Mm -hmm. A semi-soft stick of fondant, usually pink extruded with a ridged cross-section in the shape of a star and -hmm. the flavor and aroma is quite floral, reminiscent of musk perfume. What an unusual item.
1: Uh, I'll have to send you some because I quite like them, but they are... You will or you won't.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, Especially because, you know, I'm just looking up musk again and it is, in fact, a class of aromatic substances commonly used as base notes in perfumery Including glandular secretions from animals such as the musk deer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So pink, star-shaped, extruded fondant with a taste that is floral and yet reminiscent of a musk deer.
1: <laughs> you can you know, get them in tiny little compressed powder, like kind of like mints too. Oh well thank goodness. And they call I'd them be, I'd be smokers. So upset if you couldn't. Because Smokers. people would use them to quit smoking. Boy,
0: you know, I mean, I gosh, for somebody who just got incredibly, you know, highfalutin about your Musk sticks, <laughs> um, I did, you know, grow up going down to Pat's pantry with my friends and spending a dime on the little packs of candy cigarettes oh, and standing yeah. in the corner. We tried to puff on it um, <laughs> and and feeling as cool as possible. And they tasted like garbage. They were just yeah. like chalk and they're just Every fifth or sixth, sugar. Yeah, and like every fifth or sixth puff, you would get a little cloud of like fake candy smoke. And yes. it was great. And it felt cool. <laughs> and as I'm sure was intended, I did start smoking cigarettes when I was 15. So mm-hmm. it really was a um, a gateway drug. I mean, I feel like it was kind of inevitable because cigarettes are really great at the things that I wanted from them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, the candy probably helped as well.
1: It's frankly far too relatable. <laughs> It really is.
0: All right. Before we answer our last question of the day, uh, I have two updates, one of which has destroyed me emotionally, but I'm fine. Uh, it's this. Uh, as, as some listeners may remember, a few episodes ago, I was talking about how uh, daylight savings time is rough, and then I learned from a a guest that it looked like we were going to be getting rid of daylight savings time nationally. And then a bunch of people wrote in to slightly complicate that um, and to say, not so fast. So here, here we go. Unfortunately, the Sunshine Protection Act, which would make daylight savings time permanent, passed unanimously in the Senate, but has not yet passed the House, and so is not yet, hopefully, law. So this is Unfortunately, one of those things where I put the cart before the horse, and I feel like every couple of years they like put up some bill that's like, let's get rid of daylight savings time or let's keep it such that it is effectively getting rid of it. And uh, I, I mistook that for, wow, we're done. But no, it's just another one of those things that's going to get brought up and then shot down nonstop, and it's never going to get better.
1: It drives me nuts because my partner lives in Australia and it's state to state whether they do daylight savings or not. <laughs>
0: that that one's so weird to me it feels like either everybody's got to get behind it or nobody can't do this stuff where like i was once driving to utah from california and i stopped through arizona and all of a sudden they were like by the way we don't do daylight savings time here
1: like what do you mean you don't do that like everyone has to do it or no one has to do it pick one and run with it arizona
0: you're not better than me it also (laughs) felt like it felt like a detail that would show up in like uh an encyclopedia brown story like like bugs (laughs) Bugs Meenie would make some claim about being in Arizona and mm-hmm. then uh, Sally or Encyclopedia Brown would be like, actually, Arizona doesn't do daylight savings time, so your story can't be true. And then Bugs would say, you're right, it's true, I stole the popsicles. <laughs> At any rate, uh, thank you so much for the update, uh, listeners. I appreciate being brought back down to reality. And now I will read our last letter and then you and I will sail off into the sunset. Excellent. This is just like a nice, easy one. It's again, like a romantic complication, but it's it's just, uh, I think it'd be fun and easy to just offer a, little, a ruling here. Just a little bit more chill. Yeah. The subject is upper lip too stiff. I recently started seeing someone I really like. He's very romantic. He quotes Persian poetry and buys me books. He tells me I'm really hot, that I drive him crazy, that my eyes are beautiful, etc. I love hearing it and I love that he says it. The problem is I struggle to say anything in kind back. I find him really hot and he also drives me crazy, but saying it after he said it makes it feel derivative. Also, part of me finds saying it a little cringy, so my experience is to make jokes. I don't want him to think that I don't feel the way that I do. I want to get better at showing how I feel through words and actions. Where do I start? Well, my friend, if I got good news for you, you start with season six of Sex and the City. The <laughs> entire subplot where Carrie dates Mikhail Barishnikov, and they have this exact same problem. And they also solve it. Later, they have new problems and they break up for other reasons in Paris. But you don't have to watch those episodes. Those aren't important. Excellent. We've solved it. Yeah. I feel, I I thought his character was great. I thought that was a great relationship for her. It made a ton of sense. I was sad with how they wrote him off the show. Um, I thought they should have stayed together Whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um, it's they're great episodes. He's a very he's a very compelling and attractive and charismatic man, Mikhail Burishnikov.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, he is absolutely. I'm stuck on the idea of reciprocating romance, I guess, which is the the issue here, I suppose, or in the way that the letter writer wants to, or wants to, or. Maybe feels a little obligated. Yeah, I can't tell which entirely. To me,
0: this feels like it it doesn't at all sound like the new boyfriend has been sort of fishing for reciprocal comments. Yeah. Um, My guess is this is just kind of his thing. He's kind of an over-the-top, slightly romantic guy. So I, I feel like it would actually be pretty straightforward to say something like, I love it when you say all this stuff to me. I haven't really dated people who have done that in the past. I'm not really great at responding in kind, but I want you to know both that I love and appreciate it and I'm really crazy about you too. I feel like that would be relatively easy to say without feeling like you were doing anything totally alien to your own way of you
1: complimenting someone. have to turn around and quote poetry at him just because he's wooing you. It's fine to just enjoy it.
0: Yeah um but it's also great to enjoy it without feeling like oh no this guy i'm dating is being too romantic <laughs> like i i you know there's plenty of ways in which modern life is not especially romantic and which everything is jokes and i think really allowing yourself to relax from that fear of cringiness uh, and enjoy something that is sometimes a little rare uh would be a really lovely thing but again i think just saying this to him once you will get both reassurance that that's okay. I'm not looking for you to say these things back to me. I love saying them and that's why I do it. And it'll be kind of a load off of your chest because you'll acknowledge that this is a little new for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, it, it feels like an easy answer hearing the question when you're not in that situation. I've definitely been in relationships with people who are like very outwardly expressive with their romantic tendencies much more than like my love languages tend to be, I would say. And I definitely remember on the odd occasion feeling like this weird kind of self-imposed pressure to reciprocate in exactly the same way or some kind of way that is supposed to make them feel like I do when they do this stuff. And it becomes this big, you don't have to one up him.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, you can always ask obviously, but it's also like, this is the classic lover slash beloved split. Mm -hmm. And the job of the beloved is to, you know, languidly bat your eyes, roll around in adoration, like a cat rolls around in sunshine um, and be charmingly and capriciously demanding this is how that works. This is how this has worked for tens of thousands of years. So if you're struggling to think of how to respond in kind, you know, be more demanding, bat your eyelashes, uh, take long baths and wear more silk robes, and just you know luxuriate in appreciation and adoration uh, as your birthright and and be a coquette. Yeah, that's, that's like, the beloved, that's your job.
1: yeah, that's
0: not your job. You're allowed to do whatever you want, obviously. <laughs>
1: It's just, I just want to like, you know, honey, you're doing totally fine. You just need to breathe.
0: Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm just hearing like Mikhail Baryshnikov saying to Carrie, like, you are comic.
1: comic. <laughs> um,
0: and again, I think you will really enjoy either rewatching those episodes if you've seen them or watching them for the first time. Oh, it
1: has been a very long time, I think.
0: Yeah. I-, I will just say this too. In life, I don't think many people... Feel like at the end of their life, like, oh man, too many people quoted beautiful poetry to me, told me how gorgeous my eyes were, and bought me books. I put up with way more of that than I should have. So, again, that's not to say you have to pretend to love this if it's just not your taste. But if you do mostly like it, but then also just feel a little put off because it's unusual. I would just say this sort of stuff doesn't often come along in life and so you should enjoy it while it's here cuz um my guess is over the course of your life your biggest romantic problem is not going to be oh just everyone I ever dated was always being like you know oh can I read you this you know poem a- about the limpidity of your eyes
1: right like yeah no the- absolutely i would i would honestly be basking in it frankly but I still understand that feeling of like, am I doing enough? It is, it is a feeling I struggled to banish like a ghost on several occasions.
0: And to be sure there are some people, not many, but some mostly extremely beautiful who genuinely do have this as too much of a problem. And if that were somebody writing in where they're like, this happens nonstop, this is every partner I've ever had. It's driving me nuts. I would have different advice for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if somebody was like, I actually hate this. It feels all bad. None of it feels genuine or interesting to me. I just want someone who's going to joke around with me like we're in a mid-aughts car commercial where someone says, well, that just happened. You know, then by all means, break up with this guy, send him on his roomy quoting way. But uh, for somebody kind of in the middle, I like this, but I'm not sure how to relax. Um, You know, a brief conversation where you reassure him that you think he's fantastic is great, but it doesn't have to be like, you know, write down your top two love languages and I'll write down my top two and then we'll exchange them. So we always know we're giving each other exactly <laughs> what we want, which can sometimes be a little like, um, you know, as, as everyone who listens to the show, know, yeah, uh, I don't like the term love languages. Um, I don't want to try to recuperate it, but It can also just, in addition to my other problems with it, it can also just turn into something so like transactional. Like you just tell me the way you feel loved. I'll tell you the ways I feel loved. And then we'll just uh, go ahead and accomplish those uh, little algorithms for each other.
1: Yeah, I think my my knee-jerk reaction to saying it comes from like... I think I have a different relationship to it at any rate, or at least how I use it. It seemed more like a shorthand. You weren't
0: saying like one of the five formal love languages. (laughs) Yeah, no.
1: Yeah, I'm not taking a chapter out of a book or anything. Um, But no, yeah, I think genuinely being able to relax and enjoy yourself in a situation like that when you haven't experienced that before can be very difficult. Just... Knowing you're on the same page as your partner can mean everything in that kind of Mm -hmm. situation.
0: And again, you don't have to do this letter writer. But one possible response is bat your eyelashes and say, if my eyes were really beautiful, wouldn't you buy me a diamond necklace (laughs) and see if you can get a diamond necklace out of him? Again, you don't have to. He might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, but you know, if you're going to like go full romance, I say go full romance and like that can be a really fun dynamic too. So bat your eyelashes and try to make him do stuff for you. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: (laughs) And that's, that's my last word of advice today. Bat your eyelashes and get someone to do something for you, which I think is a really good approach to the world at large.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Hey, thank you so much for, uh, being such a thoughtful and, and, um, compassionate guest and also for teaching me about, just some really dog shit candy. I, I feel like it's low hanging fruit to criticize Australian cuisine, but come the fuck on, musk extruded fondant. I am going to Why? send you some. Why?
1: <laughs> That's oh, a threat. I,
0: I I thought fairy bread was as bad as it got. Mm-hmm. Like that is some Great Depression ass food. But and fairy bread in case uh, you're you're. Uh, listening and, and not aware, is apparently like a, a common kid's birthday treat mm-hmm. in, in Australia, New Zealand, which is white bread with sprinkles on it. Mm-hmm.
1: If you go to Europe, they have... That's h- it. Hagelslag, which is just, I'm probably butchering that word, but it is literally sprinkles on toast for breakfast.
0: How do you spell that? Because, oh, wow, exactly as I thought. Mm-hmm. H-E-G-E-L, slag. hmm Um, Oh, so it's the the Dutch are responsible for this shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right.
1: So I would say the Dutch are probably responsible for fairy bread also. There's a lot of them here.
0: That's horrible. I'm sorry. (laughs) You all deserve better than that. I just find this so upsetting.
1: Uh, I'll give you one I think you might enjoy. We have a brand of like very nice peanut butter here called Pix Peanut Butter. And they have something called peanut butter slugs, which are literally like a packet that you can tear the top off of and suck all of the peanut butter out of it. It's literally a pouch of peanut butter. Uh,
0: wow I'll I'll think about that (laughs) Um, and I just want in closing to send you all off with this Uh, the first known reference to fairy bread as a dish uh, was in the Hobart Mercury in April 1929 and it referred to a party for child inmates of the consumptive sanatorium oh my god so that that feels apt you know that sounds about right Um, yeah so bat your eyelashes and see if you can get something better than fairy bread out of somebody this week that's it for me Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. It's clear to me that the problem here is not that your wife doesn't demonstrate that she cares about you. It's clear that the problem is not that you don't have good sex or that she's not a good listener. So I don't want you to feel either like none of those things matter. But I also don't want you to feel like those things somehow count against your problem. Those aren't your problem. So, as far as the problem is concerned, they're totally irrelevant. It's a little bit like saying, "Well, Saturn happens to be closer to Earth than Jupiter." you know mm. fine, factually true, not relevant. The issue that you have right now is that your wife's relationship with her own anger is so volatile, is so unreasonable and is so extreme that you're starting to consider whether or not you want to spend the rest of your life with her even taking into account how much you love her and how committed you are to your marriage. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.